My name is Alex DeRosa. I'm our Family Life Pastor. If this is your first time here, I just wanted to start by saying thank you so much for deciding to invest some of your morning, your day with us. Right now, we are in part three of our series called Generosity. During this series, what we're looking at are four things, time, talent, treasure, and touch. We're talking about how God has given them to us and how he's asked us to give them back to him. And so we're going to answer the question, why is God calling us to give those four things specifically back to him? And today we're talking about treasure. To get things started, we're going to go right into God's word. We're going to look what Jesus had to say about treasure. And he does talk about it whenever he was walking this earth. He talked about treasure. So we're going to read something that he said that his disciple Matthew wrote down. It's recorded in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. It says this, Don't store up treasures here on earth, where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Pastor Chris one time shared that it's evident when you looked at Jesus and his teaching, when he's talking about this treasure that lasts, that doesn't erode, that doesn't go away, what he's talking about is people. The most precious thing to God in the universe is us. And he desires for us to be in a relationship with him so we can become the treasure of God that lasts eternally. Everything else, our possessions, our money, all of that's going to go away. It's not going to come with us after this world. And make no mistake, all of us, every person that we encounter is an eternal being. We all are either going to be in eternity in heaven with God forever or hell apart from him forever, but we are all eternal beings. And Jesus is saying that the treasure, the treasure that God values, that he's asked us to value as well, is people that live eternally with God. That is the ultimate treasure that God just really appreciates and that he thinks is so precious to him. And so we're going to talk about that. And so we're going to go right to our take-home point, which is the one point this message is all about. And it comes right from what Jesus said, and it's going to be on our minds for this whole message, where I pray that it is. It's this, the treasure we must be after is people, not stuff. It's people and not stuff. This is what Jesus was after, and he's what he's called us to do as well. But when we focus on God, it's easy to see that that that's the case, that that's how he designed us to be. But whenever we stop focusing on Jesus and start looking at the world, the world's going to tell us something very different. It's going to say our purpose is about accumulating more and more. You turn on your TV, you watch any commercial, and that's what they're saying. Hey, if you want to be happy, if you want to have all that you need in life, just buy this new car. Look how happy you're going to be. You're going to drive this car. It's going to be great. You want friends that are attractive and fun? Drink this drink. Look at all these cool friends around here. You, you want to uh, have relaxing comfort at night? Go to this streaming service. And they're going to try to promise us all these things that talk about what we should be after. But those aren't the treasure that lasts. Those things will fade away. Jesus says the treasure that endures is people. And God really illustrated this to me on January 21st. I remember the day, clearly I was in Israel. And to give you a little background of how I was feeling that day, Israel is a wonderful time. We took a, a group of us and we went for two weeks and it was amazing. But the first couple of days, three or four days, I was really sick. I got some kind of stomach bug. I don't know what was going on. I had a headache. I had body aches and chills and threw up and had just some stomach issues. And I won't go into more than that, but it was 
it was rough. It was like a constant battle between my will and my stomach or my will and my body. Just every day, just keep walking. Because not only is it like sunny and beautiful, but you're also just walking uphill all the time. You don't know how many hills and mountains there are until you just go up. And then they're like, we're going to continue going up. It's like that we went up hill both ways. That's what it just felt like every day. And so whenever you were not feeling well, it was kind of a battle. My wife, Rachel, texted me at one point while I was in Israel and said, what do you want me to tell people when they ask how your trip's going? And I said, tell them that I've seen every bathroom in Israel. And then I quickly said, no, don't actually say that. That sounds terrible. Tell them it was amazing. And, uh, and because it was, it was both. And it was amazing and, and it was hard. So on January 21st, I woke up and the first thing I generally did every morning was look right at my phone, which is probably not a good habit, probably should break that. But Israel is seven hours ahead of the Eastern time zone. So I'd go and I'd open it up and see if my favorite team, the Cleveland Cavaliers, won the night before. And then I would go and see my wife's text or maybe I should have reversed that. I don't know. Um, maybe at least I should have shared that I reversed it. I don't know. And so then I would see what Rachel had said. And on January 21st, she shared some treasure-filled news about our son, Ezra. For the last year, Ezra's about to turn five. We've talked to him in depth at times about God. He's a very smart boy, and he asks a lot of good questions. And so there's been different times where we have gone into detail about who God is, who Jesus is. And of course, he's coming here and learning about it, not only at, at preschool, but in the galaxy as well. And over the summer, Ezra and I were camping out. And during one of uh, our conversations, and after we like read some books and ate some snacks and looked at some stars, Ezra asked some questions about God. Who is he? And, and who is Jesus? And is he going to be in Israel when you walk to Israel sometime later? And I said, yes, he is, but he's right here with us today. And, and we, get, we talked about how to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And we talked about heaven. And eventually during a conversation, I said, Ezra, would you like to give your heart over to Jesus and accept him into your heart? And Ezra said, no. Uh, I said, oh, man, uh, why not? And he said, well, Daddy, I believe in God and Jesus sometimes, but sometimes I don't because I can't see him. And I thought, oh, man, like join the club, right? Like as people, we have doubts. So then I got to talk about what faith is. And so we talked about that, but still he said, no, I said, that's okay. We won't, we won't push it whenever you're ready, buddy. On January 21st, I got a text that Rachel and Ezra were again talking about God, and he was asking again some really good questions. At this time, my uncle had just passed away. He gave his life over to Jesus and then passed away. And I don't know if that uh, played into it, but Ezra was asking Rachel about God, about Jesus, about what does it take to be a Christian? What does it mean to give your heart over? What is a Lord? What is a Savior? And Rachel went through those questions and finally said, would you like to trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior? And he said, Yes. And so they prayed together and he asked Jesus to be his Lord and Savior. We can clap for that. Absolutely. We could always clap for that. And then the cool thing is Rachel's then shared that it's not only just us that are clapping, that angels literally celebrate in heaven when someone trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And after she, when she was texting me, she said he was, at, he was really solemn. He was really serious when he was asking these questions. You knew that there was something spiritual going on because of how locked in he was. And then she said, whenever she shared about the angels, he just welled up with tears. So I was reading this and I'm feeling awful, but immediately felt great because this is the news that you just, you just want to hear. And I started just bawling these big, happy tears. And I was really thankful that my roommate, Pastor Chris, was in the bathroom at this time. So I didn't have to just like, it's fine. It's not because I'm sick. It's not because the Cavaliers won. It's okay. Uh, I, I just got to cry and was just so thankful because in moments like that, it is so abundantly clear what matters 
And what does it matter? It's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that stuff matters, that things will bring about what we want them to, that they'll bring our purpose in life to fruition. We can get wrapped up, and it's easy to get wrapped up and say, okay, I just need a little bit more, and a little bit more, and maybe a little bit more than my neighbors, and just, just a tad bit more, and then I won't have worries or I won't have problems. And then if I have so much, then maybe I can retire early and then, and, or maybe I'll just have enough to, to spend money. We, we can think of this as our purpose, but it's not our purpose. It's not what we are created to do. Not that, not that that stuff is all bad, but it's not our purpose. C.S. Lewis in the book, Mere Christianity, said this about why we exist. He said, the whole purpose for which we exist is to be thus taken into the life of God. The whole purpose for which we exist is to be taken into the life of God. What does that mean? It means for our existence and God's existence to merge together. You see, all people everywhere were created by God. We are made by him. It's kind of like a sculptor makes a sculpture. But that sculptor doesn't make a a living sculpture. It's, It's still stone or whatever they made it out of. God makes us, but then when we trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior, we become his child. We become a part of his family, and we really become alive, as if that sculpture could breathe life into the sculpture. That's what God does for us. He makes us alive and a part of his family. So he says the whole reason that we exist is to come into this relationship with God. That's it. That's our purpose. And as much as I love C.S. Lewis, and I do agree with that, I would just add one thing to his definition— The whole purpose for which we exist is to be thus taken into the life of God and to help others be taken to the life of God. It's about becoming treasure and helping others do likewise. It's both. It's becoming the treasure and then sharing that good news with the people around us every single day. Because again, we dwell every day with eternal beings who either are going to be in heaven or hell. And so the purpose that we are here for is to be about sharing that with other people. And I tell you all of that during our message, which is about giving and money and earthly treasure to some point, because if we don't understand what true treasure that last is, we won't understand what we're supposed to do. We won't get our purpose and why we are here. In fact, if we don't understand the difference between what God has designed us for and what the world wants to to make us think we're here for, we will end up worshiping money and not God. We'll end up serving money instead of having money serve the goals for what God has for us. Jesus talked about this. He was very clear when he said, and again, his disciple Matthew wrote this down, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So you just can't do it. Not that it's hard, but you just can't do it. You can't serve both God and money. In this way, if you decide to serve money, it even says you're going to be enslaved to it. It won't give us what we need. It'll tell you that maybe you get security and peace and comfort, but it's not going to deliver. You see, money is really just kind of like a good stage magician. It distracts us. It says, hey, look over here. Well, really, the, the real stuff is going on over here. It says, look over here. Put all your hope and your worries. Fight for this. Think about this. And when we're doing that, we're not actually paying attention to the stuff that really matters. So God's saying, you don't go and serve money because then you won't be focusing on what really matters, why I have designed you to live on this earth. And when we focus too much on money, we'll end up just being dissatisfied. 
King Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived outside of Jesus, once said this about money. And it was written thousands of years ago, but could have just been written today because of how applicable it is. He said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. When someone makes more money, it doesn't just go, all right, cool, I've made it, I'm done. What happens? You go, well, what if I just make it a little bit more? We have these problems, and I'm sure they'll just go away if I just make that much more. Or you go to work and you look around and you say, man, if I just make more than that person, I'll just feel better about myself and maybe I'll, I'll have enough and I won't have to worry anymore. But what does that cause? It just brings about anxiety and worry. Instead of going to God and asking for permission for stuff, we go to money and ask for permission. Should, can I do this? Am I able to do this? Instead of focusing on God. And then that worry, that anxiety continues to build up. And this is why Jesus right after talking about how you can't serve money and God, talks about worry and anxiety. And it's crazy because I've heard this passage that we're about to read about anxiety and worry before. And I've heard the other part about don't serve God and money, but I don't always think of them as one thought that Jesus was getting out. But it is one thought. We'll see that right away. It says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. So he says, don't be enslaved to money, and this is why, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, which I wish that was just like a command we could focus on because that's just a nice thing. I like birds a lot. Look at the birds. That's why we have a pass of the aviary. Look at the birds. They don't plan. I'm just kidding. That's a stupid joke. I shouldn't have said that. Um, let's continue. Um, they don't plan or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Jesus was saying, don't focus on the temporary treasures of this earth. They're never going to satisfy. But God can. He knows our needs. He knows what we need. He knows what's happening tomorrow, and he can fulfill all of that. He can bring about all the desires that that he has put in us when we join to him because he is the all-powerful God. There's no point in history where God has not done his will because money. He never thinks, okay, well, I could answer this prayer, but I'm a little broke right now. So you just wait till the end of the month and then next month it'll happen. You see, money is not an issue for God. It's not a problem that is on his mind. God can do what he wills at all times. This was driven home to me recently. I woke up uh, one morning recently and I looked at my phone and again, maybe this is just an issue I need to get rid of. Uh, And I looked at it and this time it was just sad news. It was just something that just devastated me and I was reading it and I was just sitting there in my sadness. The whole family's still asleep. And I thought, okay, I need to go wake up my wife so that we can talk about this so maybe she can encourage me so maybe we can be sad together. I don't know. So I got out of bed because she was leaning the other way and I walked around and I said, Rachel, Rachel, can you wake up? got some sad news, which is how everyone wants to wake up, right? Um, And so she like wakes up, she kind of rubs her eyes and she's like, all right, like what happened? I say, I just found out that my favorite basketball player, Kevin Love, is no longer on the Cleveland Cavaliers and I just don't know what to do about it. 
And she gave me this look, like if you're married, you know this look, I don't even know if I can describe it, but it's like in one hand, how dare you? In another hand, leave my sight. In another hand, this isn't a problem. And so I looked at that and she said, that doesn't affect us. And I wanted to argue, but I knew better, at least a little bit better. And so I went and wallowed in my sadness. But as I went through that, I realized that when we bring issues about money to God, I can't, God, I can't answer what you've asked me to do because of money. He looks and says, that's not a problem. Now, make no mistake, God does want us to bring any issue we have to him. Just like, again, my wife might have looked at it, but she still talked to me about it later on for the next nine days. We talked about Kevin Love, and I went through the grieving process. I denied it. I was mad about it, finally accepted it. But Rachel was there because she cared about me, but she did want to let me know that this is an effect of everyday life, and God does the same thing. He cares for us. He wants us to bring all of our concerns to him, but money is not an issue to him. His will will still prevail no matter what it looks like financially. I love hearing about the start of New Life and and how God miraculously made this church happen because it was through his work, not through any financial thing that we had set up. When Pastor Chris set out to start New Life, someone gave him 2,000 bucks, which is not enough to start a church normally, but because God in his miraculous work can do stuff that we can't even imagine, start it, new life, right away. And in those early days, I know that the staff have shared stories about how they would sit there and think throughout the week, if 800 bucks doesn't come in this week or 850 bucks doesn't come in this week, we won't be able to pay the utilities, we won't be able to pay the staff. And then Pastor Chris shares that every time that happened, any time that they would talk about that, God would send in the money. Someone would send in $850 or $800. It would be exactly what they need. And at no point in the history of new life did we go by without, having, without being able to pay a bill or pay for payroll or anything like that. Why? Because God's good. And he consistently does that. And because God's power is simply much greater than the power of money. There's no equal there. A lot of times we we put a lot of stock in the power of money, but God's power is much greater. And so what God's done for us, which is a blessing, he's asked us to go to him with money and said, hey, bring it to me so I can show you who I am, so you can understand my power. He specifically told his people, and they wrote it down in the book of Deuteronomy, a law about bringing a tithe, which simply means a tenth. And so people would bring a tenth, and God tells them that there's a blessing when we do that. We're going to see what that is. Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 23 says this, You must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. I find this fascinating. That God didn't say, hey, bring me the money so that I'll love you more. He didn't say, bring me the money and then you'll get so much, you don't know what to do with it. He says, bring me the money and you'll walk deeper into your relationship with me, that you'll walk into the life of me because you'll fear me, you'll understand me more. Pastor Chris talked about the fear of the Lord and what a blessing it is a couple weeks ago when we talked about talents. At the 1030 service, he defined it this way, to fear God means to be afraid of him because he can kill you. And I thought that was hilarious that he said that. I mean, it's true, but I remember thinking, whoa, like that's a very basic way to say it. It is very true though, because it's understanding who God is. But let's add a little bit to that definition. To fear God means to honor, respect, revere, and acknowledge the magnitude of God appropriately. 
means to understand who he is. He wants us to know his power so that we can trust in him. So we're not worrying about the things of this world, so we rely on him. And the more we do that, the more that we have this fear of the Lord, the more we're going to be blessed in walking into the life of God. King Solomon in the book of Proverbs talked a lot about the fear of God and what it can do for us every day, the blessings that it can bring about in our lives. And so I'm going to highlight three of them, but there's more. I'd encourage you to go to the book of Proverbs and read through and just let your eye catch where it says fear of the Lord and read those lines. But let's look at three of them. Proverbs 9.10 says, fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. So fear of the Lord, what does it bring? Wisdom, knowledge, good judgment. Proverbs 14.27, fear of the Lord is a life-giving fountain. It offers escapes from the snares of death, so it brings life. Proverbs 15.33, fear of the Lord teaches wisdom. Humility precedes honor. So wisdom and knowledge and humility and life. God's saying, if you get the fear of the Lord, you'll walk deeper into your existence as you were designed to live. So when he's saying, give back to me, he's saying, I want you to do that so you'll trust me, so you'll walk deeper into this relationship together. So the question then is, what do we do? Practically, how do we apply this? We've seen this. We talked about the treasure that, that God values, which is us as people, and we're supposed to go and help other people understand their existence by becoming treasure as well. And God's saying, if you give to me, you'll gain this fear of the Lord. So what do we do practically? Well, Deuteronomy already gave us an action step. Let's look at it again. Deuteronomy 14, 23 starts by saying, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. So practically, that means give a portion of what you get to the local expression of God's body, the church. That's why we talk about it every week. We don't talk about it because we're worried about it, because we know God has it under control. We talk about it because God has commanded us to, and because there's a blessing for all of us attached when we give back to God. You see, when we give to God, we gain the blessing of obeying, which leads to the fear of the Lord. And so we share that every single week. And so... If you're here and you'd like to give to New Life, you can always do that in a couple of different ways. You go to the website, newlifexn.org give, or on the app by pressing give, or in the offering boxes on your way out. And as we do that, we get this blessing of the fear of the Lord. What else can we do? So we can tithe to our local church. God has also asked us to walk into life with him by understanding his heart. And James, the brother of Jesus, tells us a little bit about what motivates God and what should motivate our beliefs and our, even our religion. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows and their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. People are treasures to God, all of us. You, me, orphans, widows, the oppressed. And God says, that we are given this money and he wants us, I believe strongly, wants us to use it as a vehicle to show God's love to those around us. We're given this money, so let us show that as a blessing to other people to show them what God has done in our lives to help them to experience the love of God. And it doesn't always take humongous gifts. Sometimes it's small things. When my mom and dad split, we moved into an apartment with my mom and I remember going in there and the cupboards were bare. My mom is one of seven. Her six siblings came over that day and filled the cupboards with food. And I'm not sure what the sacrifice was on their part, but I know that for me, it was a humongous change. It was an amazing blessing that we got to receive that day. I love New Life and the fact that we constantly are about how 
can we give to those around us? We keep the compassion near and far offering always on the giving tab, on the website, on the app, because we wanna continually give that compassion near and far. All of that goes to people in our community and throughout the ends of the earth who are in need. I love that we do blessing boxes and backpacks and greatest need for this reason, because it aligns straight with God's heart. It's also why we support missionaries and churches all around. One of my favorite things that happened in, in my life in the last few years is finding out about Southeast Asia Prayer Center. They are a great missions organization that allows you to sponsor with kids and orphanages around the world. One day after service, Rachel and I went out and there was this table that we had set up and there was a little girl named Sandar Wynn from Myanmar, a little picture of it, and we decided to sponsor her. And we thought at the time, oh, this is just a financial gift, but we didn't realize that it was an investment in eternity, investment in eternal treasure and at the start of an amazing relationship. We ended up getting to meet her in Myanmar and we send her letters every single month. And we've gotten so close that a couple months ago, she responded to an email and Rachel generally writes them. We talk about them together and Rachel sends them. And Sandra Wynn messaged back and said, can Alex write the next one? And at first I thought, oh man, like I'm, I'm not doing the right thing. But then I thought, what a blessing. That means that our relationship is so close at this point that she can tell whose voice is writing which letter. And what an amazing thing that we have this connection with her. And now we sponsor her brother, Ming Ming Lone, as well. And what bright, amazing kids. And it's been a blessing on our hearts as we've been able to serve them. Right now, Danielle Hyde, our connections director, she's in Honduras with the team, and they're going to come back, and in a couple months, we're going to set up tables again with kids from Honduras that we can sponsor. And I encourage you to pray over that opportunity as it comes up very soon. And as we give to people, whether it's near or far, know that we're not just giving financially, but we're investing in eternal treasure. We're serving people in the way that God wants us to, because after all, the treasure that lasts is us. It's people. It's people who get to be in heaven eternally with God. And that is our whole purpose for which we exist, to enter into this life with God and to help other people do likewise. And the way that we can enter into the life of God is to get to know God more, to understand who he is and who his heart is. And what God has told us to do is to give to him. And when we do that, we gain this fear of the Lord, this amazing blessing to know God more. And then he's asked us to give Give so that other people can experience that same love. And I know that money is not an easy thing for any of us really to deal with, but the more we think of it from God's perspective, the easier it will be to say, all right, God, you take what you want from my life and give me who you are. Recently, I've been listening to this song on repeat, and that's what I just, I catch myself doing. I find a song, and I just listen to it over and over, and I listen to something else. But there's this band called Ascend the Hill, and they take old hymns and they add like electric guitars and stuff to them. And they take this song, Take the World and Give Me Jesus, and they kind of modernize it. And the first verse of that just continues just to, to strike my heart. It says, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name, but his love, meaning God's love, abideth forever through eternal years the same. Take this world and give me Jesus. It's not always easy to mean but in moments when you hear about my son giving their life over to Jesus or my uncle doing the same thing, it's easy in those moments. It goes, man, that is much more worth it. We were listening to the song recently in Ezra. It was in the car and he said, why would you, give, why would you say take the world? And I said, because the alternative is so much better. The alternative of giving it to Jesus and saying, Jesus, you do what you want with my life is hard but it's so much better because then through that, we get to experience life as it was designed to live. 
So if we want to live this out, we want to walk into the, the fear of the Lord, into existence with God, we could do that through today's next step, which says, I will trust God by giving him more than I'm comfortable with this week. I'll be honest. When I was writing this, I kept taking out that line more than I'm comfortable with. I took it out and then I was like, all right, I'm good. And then I'd feel this unrest in my heart, so I added it back. And then I felt this peace. And then I thought, oh man, but that's not comfortable. So I took it out again and I would feel like this unrest, so I put it back and finally I left it. And I I believe God wants us to do that because if we are to trust God, we can't just skim off the top and give to him. If we're trusting God, that means we're saying, all right, I'm giving more than I'm comfortable with because in that moment, God, I need you. I need you to show up because I'm not going to make it without you. And let it be known that God will never let us down, that he will always deliver because he's our good, powerful God, the God of the universe, the God that spoke worlds into being, the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for you and me so that we could enter into existence with him. If you're here today and you've never walked into that life of God, well, let me tell you, it's as simple as A, B, C. A, we start by just admitting, admitting that we're sinners, that we're not perfect, and that we need Jesus. We need him as our Lord, our owner, our master, our God, and our savior, our rescuer from sin and death. And we believe, we believe in him as Lord and savior. We acknowledge that he is real, that God is the God of the universe, that his son came for us. We confess, we confess our sins to Jesus. We say, take them away from me and allow me to enter into this life with you, make me a new creation and guide me with the power of the Holy Spirit. So right now, what we're gonna do is we are going to pray and we're gonna give an opportunity to anyone who has never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior to pray with me. And I'm gonna pray the prayer and I encourage you to say the words alongside me. Make them your own, your own heart and your own mind. Would you please pray with me? Dear God, I thank you for today. I pray that you'll, Just fill our hearts right now and hear the prayers of anyone that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior as we say, dear God, I believe you are the one true God and that your son Jesus died and rose again for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. Forgive me of my sins and enter me into a relationship with you forever. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.